For most everyone I've spoken with in the last year and a half of the podcast, one thing has been true. As soon as they touched clay, they were hooked. It was like a siren call, an addiction, where their whole life they began to rearrange in order to figure out how to carve out a little bit more time to have their hands in the mud. That mesmerizing experience that is true for so many of us often has us jump straight from our first class at the local community studio to how do I sell this so that I can quit my job in the span sometimes of just a few months. Guilty as charged over here. But what does it actually take to quit your job and go full-time in pottery? What skills do you need in order to actually be able to make a living from the things you make? Are there certain goals you need to hit to make this thing viable? Today's guest sheds a bit of light on his experience with these very questions. Because after encouraging middle school students in his art classes that there are indeed many ways to make a living as an artist, he decided, instead of teaching, to lead by example. Four years ago, Rich Brown stepped out of the traditional classroom and launched Pottery 32. Yes, it's called Pottery 32 because he was at the age of 32, which I point out as I stare down my quickly approaching 36th birthday, my friends, we can still do this. But enough for me. Let's hear from Rich. Welcome to the Maker's Playbook, the podcast where we talk about what it's really like to make a living from the things you make. I'm your host, Rebecca Ikes Kara. Hey, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm glad I finally made it. We did it. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to cancel again because I was like, I cannot get this. I'm done. <laughs> I was very confident that this was all going to line up when it needed to line up between me rescheduling on you and everything over months of trying to make this happen. I'm, I'm excited you're here. So I'm glad. Well, for people that can't see you right now, how would you introduce yourself? I don't know if there's anybody on the internet who doesn't know who you are, but just check in. Oh man, that's not true. I'm Rich Brown from Pottery 32 and I'm a studio potter. Uh, I want to call myself a designer as well. Mm -hmm. And I think in the last month I've called myself a content creator because I guess I'm creating some content. Well, it's the necessary evil of the world that we live in in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, what we have to do. So, and I guess a family man, yeah. all around good friend and try to be a good person. That's how I try to describe myself. I like it. Tell me about this designer aspect though, because that's throwing some, I didn't expect that. Yeah, because I do a lot of stuff and that's how I actually found pottery because, you know, I might paint, draw. I might do a little bit of woodworking, but I got away from that stuff once I found pottery. Okay. And I might go back to it from time to time, but I'm always coming up with something creative, some kind of design, uh, something to make life easier. But pottery is just the thing that actually stuck with me. That's what I'm I'm using now as a vehicle to drive what I'm doing or to express myself, I should say. Funny enough, I actually heard a little bit of your story before, before I ever followed you on Instagram. I think it's how I started following you in the first place. Like before Diana, before this podcast existed, I listened to your interview on the Potter's Cast mm -hmm. and was like, oh, hold on a second. What is up with this? So I don't want to ask too many of the same questions because that story is out there. But just for people who haven't listened to that, you were a teacher before, right? 17 years at least. Yeah. Well, probably more than that, but I, I did 17 years of middle school. And at one point when I graduated from college, I was a director of a daycare and I actually taught in a daycare. So I probably have like 20 years experience in education. And then I, I, I was an admissions counselor at the college that I graduated from St. Peter's University. And I had a little coaching stint there as well as an assistant coach. So I've been on all levels of education. Which, I mean, thinking about running a daycare makes creating content for Instagram look real easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but you, you'd you be amazed at how easy it is to make those kids fall in line at three years old. Mm -hmm. Middle schoolers are difficult, but those little ones, they fall in the line. They have a plan and they'll follow it. Yeah. The year that I got into ceramics, I was working with eight to 12-year-olds. And I think I could handle high schoolers because like teenagers you can kind of be a little snarky with to a certain extent but eight to twelve year olds they're like they're oof. school is the worst oh. because of the hormones and everything it really is the worst and you watch them morph into little people from the sixth grade to the eighth grade they actually change you can see it yes 
Yes, absolutely. So how did you switch from teacher to pottery? I loved listening to that story too, was like, I think a lot of us can get stuck with, oh, I've missed my chance. I should have done this out of college. I didn't do it out of college. Now I've got a family. Now I've got a house. I can't. It's easy for all of us to come up with all the reasons that we can't do something, right? And like, you were like, screw it. I'm doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I was teaching middle school art and I was a fine arts teacher and it was a magnet program. And I was always telling the kids and the, the family as well, the parents that you can make a living off of art. And even though I was at a magnet program and this, the kids tested into it, the parents didn't care about art because they were like, you can't really have a life in art. You have to just, you know, I guess, corporate or whatever you have to do. And I would just stress and emphasize that art is not just paintings. There's so much more to art, like set design, everything you have to be creative with. And that's what I was trying to teach my kids, how to just be able to be creative and how to think outside of the box. And I believe that's what art can do for you. Your imagination can grow wild. So I was tired of telling them that you can do that. So I had to actually show them that it could be done. (laughs) It caused a lot of heartbreak in terms of, I didn't really want to leave the school at the time, but I just needed to do it for myself. And I thought that I can always come back to teaching because I'm still offered jobs constantly. Like last month I was offered a job. They're like, can you please come back? And I'm like, well, not yet. So I want to make this run. And what also helped me be able to make the transition is the country singer, Zach Brown, we have mutual friends and we became friends. And I was working at this farmer's market locally and we would just speak from time to time. And he was like, do you want to make a go at this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, all right, I'll help you. Just like (laughs) that, just over the table at the farmer's market. I love that. Because he saw my work ethic and he spoke to my friend and I'm always working. So he was like, let's make a run at this. So we did it for two years. And that set me in the right place to be able to continue on my own. And like I always say, it's scary, but I I really wouldn't have it any other way. And do you feel like that encouragement from him was like the safety net you needed to be kind of pushed off the ledge or I don't know. I don't know what that even looks like. It was definitely a safety net because the thing about it was like working with him, I was able to get insurance and make sure my family, we still had insurance because at that point my wife wasn't working. So my major concern, and when I look back, like the fear was just, it was, I didn't need that fear, but I had that fear because I've never done anything like that. And I have another friend who's a sculptor. He's a world-renowned sculptor. His name is Namdi Nkankwo. And I remember speaking to him and he said, if you don't do this two years from now, you'll never do it. He said, you're going to regret it. He said, because I have friends who didn't make that leap and they're in their fifties now. And they're like, well, I wish I did it when I did. And two years after he told me that is when I said, oh, everything is lining up. I'm out of here. And I I made the jump. That's amazing. That's so amazing. And that's why it's called Party, Pottery 32, right? I'm working off memory yeah, here, I started, so I should have written yeah, that Yeah, notes. I started Pottery when I was uh, 32 years old. That's yes. when I started Pottery. And then when I look back at it, that's the first time I ever saw a Potter's Wheel, which is amazing. Up to that point in my life, I never saw a Potter's Wheel. And it was weird how I can recall going to different markets and stuff, and I wouldn't be the one to pay attention to art. I can't really recall, but I was artistic and I was creative, but I don't know if that was just my world, like I didn't think in that world or in that space. And for some reason at 32, I saw a video on YouTube of a a guy and I keep trying to search for it, but I can't find it because I might know that Potter now. He might actually be on Instagram and I'm following and I'm not even aware of it. It was Steven the whole time and you had no idea. Yeah, yeah, didn't know. And this guy just made some mugs for a coffee shop and I just was, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then there was a studio here in Georgia called Mudfire and they were teaching classes and I didn't know where it was, but I was passing it all the time going to the farmer's market and didn't know I was passing it. So one time I saw a sign that said pottery lessons and I went in and then once I went in, I was just hooked and I was awful. I mean, I have pieces when I first started and I was awful. And when I look back at it, I'm like, I can't believe where I am now. And, you know, a lot of people say I'm talented. It's, and I really say it's not talent. It was just a desire to learn something putting the time to learn it because I have my first pieces in it. They're off. <laughs> They're off. And how long ago was that? 14 years ago. And that that's the big thing. I feel like that's what part of what drove me to start this podcast in the first place was like realizing what people are seeing you do now is 14 years in the making, right? Like that's what I think we forget as we're scrolling through Instagram is like, oh gosh, I can't do this or I can't do that because 
look at how rich can do that so quickly it's like well if you put in the hours rich put in you, you probably can do it <laughs> yeah because I, I remember my first mug that i created i was probably i would say i was three months in before i even attempted to do a mug because they were like you know applying a handle is a whole different ball game and you just want to be able to make a cylinder first and when i look back at my first mug how heavy it is how if it's on it'll fall over because the, the base is so small the handle is jacked up and I look at it and I, I'm, I'm just, wow, this is, I'm impressed with myself. But I remember that mug taking 20 minutes. And I remember going to Mudfire and in the course of one hour, I would make three pieces. And I remember I couldn't pull up a wall. I mean, all of these things that I can recall, I remember like tap centering. Like I literally almost tried trying to learn how to tap center because it was just something that I couldn't do. And then I remember there was a guy next to me and he was throwing off the hump. And I remember... At that point, I was probably like two, three years in and I had a potter's wheel at my house and I was trying to throw off the hump and it just couldn't do it. And it was like, this is something that I'm never going to be able to do. And now where I am, just just going after it, it's obtainable for everybody. Well, and would you agree it, to me, it also seems like that a certain level of that skills accrual is necessary to do it. Like. I don't understand how you could possibly become a full-time professional potter without learning those things. Because when it comes down to it, you got to manage your time. You have to be able to produce with the exception of if you're doing, of course, you can have some really involved sculptural oriented work that is time intensive and you sell it for a thousand dollars a piece. That's completely different business model, but selling mm -hmm. functional wear, selling things that people are going to have in their home, you got to have a certain amount of speed to make a reasonable well, living. Well, Simon Leach, because I, I was watching him on YouTube all the time when I was learning, and I remember him always saying, you need to be able to make 20 pieces in an hour. And that's a good starting point. And I really think he meant that probably for production powder, you know, because I guess any body might be able to make 20 pieces a day. And if you can sell it and you have the right market, you can survive. But I think he might've been going from the production powder aspect. He said, you should be able to make 20 pieces in an hour before you even think about making a living at this because he's selling functional wear like myself. And he's thinking about the price point. My price point is not high. It's reasonable. And I'm, I'm able to make 20 pieces an hour. So these are goals that I just tried to hit. So what I'm doing now is spending more time trying to create content because I know I can create the the work that I need when I need it. And it's about getting the eyes on the work for me instead of creating the work. And I think it's reversed for a lot of people. It's creating the work. So I'm looking at it from, can I get more eyes on it to be able to sell the work? So that's where I am now. Which that's where my brain always goes to. I mean, anybody who's been listening to me for five minutes is not going to be surprised that by that statement because I love the idea of create what you want to create and then figure out how to sell it afterwards. But my very practical brain says, okay, that's great, but I still got to buy groceries. I, I love the thought of it. And it, it's that very quintessential potter in the shed out back by themselves enjoying. But like at the end of the day, if you do want to do this full time, you got to sell the work. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people really realize that because this is all I have. There's no secondary income. This is all I have. So if I post a picture and you see 30 boxes going out and the 30 boxes are going to West Elm, people might look at it and be like, wow, that's 30 things. But I'm only receiving $13 per box. And not only did I have to make everything that's in there, I had to package it. I had to get on the ship station and make sure that they're labeled and I had to write a thank you card. So you're looking at it and you're saying, oh, he made, I didn't make a lot. I made $390 out of the 30 boxes that you see. And then on top of that, you find out that you have to get four tires for your truck. <laughs> and then you have to realize that you have to buy groceries and you have to realize that you have bills to pay. Like, I don't think people put that all together and how hard it is to be full-time in anything. And I always say, I sound pretty stupid to try to make a living from selling cups. Because I could do anything I want to do. If I put the same amount of passion and energy into selling a car, I'm a millionaire. Seriously. Or real estate. Yeah, or real estate. I'm a millionaire. Seriously. But I choose to do something because I love it. I, I thought about this last week. I was like, I decided to sell mugs. How dumb am I? Like, <laughs> what life decisions have I made? Like, this is stupid. I have a master's degree. Why would I make a mug? Like, I'm dumb. 
but I love it. So I'm going to keep being a dummy and, <laughs> and keep creating. I think it was Brian Hopkins when I was talking to him said like, it's not a career. It's a life. We don't yeah. really have that separation the way, which I don't know. It in some ways is a bad thing. In some ways is a good thing in terms of if you are making sure that you are passionate about what you are doing. I mean, if we were out there selling real estate and not passionate about it, you're still going to spend a lot of hours of your life doing it. So that's the idealistic version. I struggle when they're, when I'm in conversations with artists who kind of look down on marketing and look down on sales and this type of stuff. And I think, but this is what allows you to make a to living, do what you do. to do what you do, to keep doing what you're doing, to live this life. Like instead of thinking of it as it's only a terrible thing if you're selling something you don't believe in. In my opinion, if you are the used car guy who's selling a lemon, who knows that it's a lemon, who's just trying to get money from somebody, then yeah, then that's a crappy thing to do. But like, if you made that mug beautifully and the handle is well thought out and proportions and the this, all of these things, then what's so bad about it? Yeah, definitely. And all of the mistakes that you're going to go through, like I posted a video yesterday, my glaze ran over, so I lost about 30 pieces and it's, it was funny because I'm seeing all the comments that I'm getting about like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Yeah, I've tried all of those things. I'm well aware of what I was doing. And I'm well aware of the fact that I knew it was going to probably run. I did. I knew it. But the way I live, I'm gambling. Like, well, if it doesn't run, I got 30 pieces today. But if it does run, hey, that's what happens. And I was totally fine with that. I, I mean, I was totally fine. So when it happened, I was like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. But I didn't know it was going to happen. So let me try and that's what I did. So then I ended up running in, and I didn't even learn a message because I probably do it again. But uh, like I said, it doesn't take me long now to make another 20 to 30 pieces. I could do that in about an hour. It, it was wasteful and I shouldn't do it again. But I'm always thinking like, what if it did work? Like, I I'm just weird when it comes to things like that. Because to me, that's not a loss to me. All of this is fun. There there's so many other things in life to worry about than losing some pottery pieces. That is not going to make or it's not going to break me. Like when my kilns were down, that's a problem because there's nothing I can do. When I was moving from studio to studio and I didn't have a home, that's a problem because I can't create work. But my kilns work. I have glaze. I have clay. I can go in there and get it again. I have stuff on the shelf, bisqueer that I can do it again. So those little things are not even issues to me. We have to look at life differently. What are issues and not issues? In my book, looking at life holistically, and if losing a piece, a couple of pieces of pottery, that's beautiful. I just wanted to share it with people because people, I don't know if they would think that I make mistakes, but I make a ton of mistakes because I don't stay in one particular style. Like every month, if I want to do something different, I'm going to do something different. So I went to a showing last year of Basquiat's work, and there's another one coming here locally in May. So I'm going to make some mugs that are inspired by his work because I just like to see the colors of his work. So that's going to be a new take on what I do. And I'll probably just do a little series of it. And then I'll move back to what I normally do. And then I want to do some more sculpture and I'm going to do sculpture. So I'm always playing around with different forms and techniques and different glazes, just trying to figure it all out. Since you are reliant on this income, since this is the main gig, how does that work for you as far as then also finding an audience to sell it? Is it a matter of still trying to find that the right group of people or because I guess I, I think like it's scarier when it is the full-time income to make those changes because if there's something that you're selling and you're selling it well you know it's hard to say okay I'm gonna stop making this and make something else now that you don't know if it's gonna sell or not right yeah and see that's what I'm saying like don't pay attention to me because what I do sometimes doesn't make sense but that's what keeps me going yeah yeah because if I stayed in the same color, same pattern, people can build a collection and, you know, it's security. But I, I just don't live like that. Uh, and it's been working so far. And it's me finding myself. And I, and I really still believe I'm at the infancy of my career. Because I've only been doing it like pretty much four years on my own independently. And outside of being with Zach, it's only been two years that I've been a full-time potter on my own. So I'm really trying to find myself. And like, that's why I have, I'm the, I say I'm the neighborhood pot dealer because I'm going to hustle. I'm going to find a way to move my product. <laughs> yeah. So once it. the product is made, I'm going to find the avenue of the people who love this and the people who love that. And the pe I'm going to, I'm going to make it work. I love that recognition too, that there are people like 
you don't have to pick one thing because that's the only thing that's going to sell. I mean, look at any market of any product. There's people out there who are going to buy almost anything and everything, right? You've got the million dollar houses. You've got the fixer upper houses. You've got the, I don't know, suave shampoo. And now all of the ridiculous hair product Instagram ads I get that are way more than suave. Like, mm-hmm. and people are buying all of this stuff. And so there's, I think the point is there is a market for anything. And what the point you've made is you have to be the one to find it and figure it out mm-hmm. as opposed to making the work and, and waiting and seeing what happens, yeah, right? You're actively going out there. Yeah. Imagine if we stayed in one box. So say I stayed in one box and I had my clients and it's, it's going well, but I, I jumped out of the box and then it catapulted me to another realm. If I'm staying in that same box, I'm never going to know if I can even get to that point. And that's why I'm always just creating. And I'm just trying to find my my voice through my work. I know my voice because I can tell my pieces just have a, a certain feel and a certain style. But I, I don't think I've found that Shangri-La moment yet. And I don't think I ever will. I'll probably be an 85-year-old potter, knock on wood, still trying to find who I want to be. And that's the beauty of clay because it's key better. I, I think I get like a new charge every six months. So in the new year, when I moved uh, my studio, I threw away like literally like five bisque shelves of work because I was like, that's not good enough because it's like something just triggers me. And then my pieces become better. I can see it. I can feel it, see it, look at the profile and they're better. And I'm like, people, I can't give people what I have on my shelves right now, because that's not what I am right now. And that'd be a disservice to give people, if they're going to spend money, you can go to Walmart and get a mug for a, a dollar. So if you're going to spend $42 on my mug, let me give them the best that Rich Brown could give them at that particular moment. So literally it was like six shelves of bisqueware that I threw in bags and took to the dump. And people are like, yo, you're crazy. Why are you throwing that away? And I was like, cause that's not, that's not who I am right now. I also think, my assumption is the ability to do that also comes from that a little bit of a detachment of knowing like you know exactly how long it's going to take you to make that work again because you have that consistent skill Uh if it took you 20 if it still took you 20 minutes to make a piece throwing away six shelves of bisquare is like and i apologize for being wasteful because that is very wasteful but but there's an integrity piece too you know it's it yeah it's like i can't give you that and I don't have the ability to just glaze all of that and just give it away because that's time consuming and expensive. So I have to give you the best that I can give you at that particular time. So what, what that is just pretty much paper. If I was teaching kids how to draw, that's the pieces of paper that you have to build up to what you're going to give away your final piece. So the people didn't get maybe 300 pieces, but they got 301, 302, 303 of a completed task. So I'm just trying to give you the best that I can possibly give you at that given moment. Absolutely. And I think any parent would probably appreciate, like, as much as you want to keep every single piece of artwork your kid comes home with from daycare, everybody I know who has little ones figures out about a month in, like, okay, we can't keep every single, like, little scribble and scratch and, like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And just to clarify the timeline for everybody, because I don't want it to get lost in the conversation, you've been full time for six years, is what you said? Four. No, about four. Four. And then but, two, two years before that was Zach. Oh, no, no. Well, out of the four, it's two with Zach and two by myself. Got it. Cool. So, which means you had been practicing this craft for 10 years before, before you. Before I decided to go both. Yeah. And I think that is a huge thing because. I mean, most any of us, and I think most people listening to this podcast, they've touched clay, we get addicted real fast, and the immediate thought is, how can I spend more of my time doing this? And the harsh reality is the amount of practice you need to get that skills accrual to actually make it viable to make a living from it, and how much time that takes, yeah, right? I, four, four, 14 years in, I was three years in before I decided to sell my stuff, like part-time. And then it was, and when I look back, I, I think it all happened for a reason because I wasn't ready. I wouldn't be ready to be a full-time potter three years in because of production-wise, I wouldn't be able to do it. And it would be so hard for me to, to do it. Like right now, it's easy for me to do it because I don't have to spend that much time in the studio creating what I create because I don't get really elaborate with colors and decorative. I don't think I'm ready for it yet. I don't think I'm ready to 
experiment with color yet because I'm still working on form. And this is just my belief. <laughs> so I want to get to a point where I feel like I even mastered form and throwing more before I can spend time with the application of the aesthetics of it. Yeah. In terms of the aesthetics with color, I want to master thrown form first before I get into the aesthetics of it in terms of maybe painting more on it. Yeah. And that's just my way of thinking. And, and, and I always say like, that's just how I am. And to each his own and everybody's different. But this is how I approach it. I'm just wired like that. Well, and I think particular to the medium of ceramics, you kind of have to choose a thing in certain ways. I don't know any other medium where there are so many different levels of knowledge that you could spend your life learning, becoming an expert on just one little, becoming a glaze expert, becoming a, a throwing expert, become a hand building expert, becoming a kiln technician, you know, like... There's so many levels of the sciences that you have to learn just to be able to actually make a damn mug in the first place. Agreed. <laughs> I definitely agree. So, yeah, it is a process. Well, and the people I see out there doing this craft at a very high level to me seem to pick a particular aspect to focus on and have that be their thing. There's a reason Kurt slipcasts his work because he's diving down the rabbit hole of glaze chemistry. Slipcast. Right. And like, and so that slip casting allows him more freedom to spend more time on glazes and you spending more time on form. And that's going to come through in your work. And then, you know, somebody like Simon, who's known for knowing how to wood fire, like now Simon makes his plates super heavy on purpose, but Simon's plates are heavy as hell. If you pick up one mm -hmm. of those things, because he's not worried about that. He's interested in the alchemy of what's happening inside that wood fire kiln. So yeah. A heavy plate is a good plate in terms of functionality because it, it, it retains heat and your food will stay warm longer. So there, you go. there could be a reason behind it. Yeah. I don't know if that's his reason, but <laughs> he's going to use that reason now. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. It's a great reason. I love that you mentioned specific to form though, because I also think specific to the desire to sell functional wear. This is a conversation Francesco and I have all the time and you see my very soft-spoken husband get very heated and fired up about it, which is really entertaining. That, like, if you're going to make functional wear, it has to be, you have to take into consideration the form. The form has to, you have to consider that functional aspect and not just the artistic aspect. And those things have to go together, which, again, I don't know another medium that is as complicated as that. And that's what, and that's what I'm looking at. I, I want somebody to be able to purchase my mug and it has, it's at a price point where they say, this is not your regular mug. So let me kind of interact with this differently and let me respect what it is. However, I want them to be able to use it every day and don't feel like it's too much of a prized position that they can't use every day. But this is what I do. This is my avenue of work. So I try to create something that they don't even know why they like it. I put that little thumb thing on it to balance out the mug. I try to make a, a light and even feeling mug. Like, and I always tell people when I'm teaching pottery or I'm just sharing it with another potter, you can make a well-balanced heavy mug. You can make a well-balanced light mug and you can feel it. Like I can pick up a piece and be like, okay, I got it. Like <laughs> I made a whole bunch of bud vases and there's one bud vase and it's like, this is the one. <laughs> so there's like 30 of them, but this is the one. And this is where I'm trying to, to get to all of the time. Yep. Absolutely. So, those things, that's how it, that's how it should be. And I think when you understand it and you just dive into it, you'll, you'll understand it and appreciate it. Nope. Didn't have a segue. <laughs> I just, I, I appreciate it. I'm just nodding along over here. Like, yep, yep, absolutely. So let's give everybody a little insight into, because this is the main gig. And I think a lot of the questions I hear from a number of people are, you know, are the examples of like, you've got a family, you have, how many kids do you guys have? Two, 16-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. Ooh, Ooh you're mm. getting, like, we've already got driver's license time right now. Like, yes, yes, yep, oh, yep. man. Oh, man. She's about to drive. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thinking, like, just the realities of life and the realities of what the business and supporting your life is like talking about, okay, you're getting faster with throwing. So like your actual studio time is less because, you know, how are you managing the point? The question I'm rambling my way to is what's that reality of your balance of time look like in order to make this work? 
Well, the studio life is really not less because I am trying to create in, like inventory. So I'm spending some time creating inventory. I, I'm bouncing around like I'm getting a studio built right now, but um, I've been in like three studios in the past four months. So yeah, that's why I'm so tired. Like it's just been a constant move, move. And you, it, it's just so much to move, moving kilns and everything. So I'm beat down from that aspect of it. But the way I look at things now is I'd rather have the demand than the supply because I am the, I can make the supply. That doesn't work for everybody. But for me, in my case, I want to create demand for my wear by just being out there. And that's creating that content. Uh, I plan on learning more, or I shouldn't say learning more, learning how to use Premiere Pro to make videos that I can have on YouTube, just make a quality video. So I would rather spend my time doing those things to boost my pottery sales. I want to be on YouTube. I have a Pottery 32 YouTube channel, but I don't have anything on it. And being your own boss and being a potter, I don't have money to just pay somebody to do it. I don't have money to pay somebody to edit it. But since I'm so fast in the studio, these are things that I can learn and just put in my toolkit that I can do. So I have cameras. I just have to set them up and then I have to learn how to edit and and get the look that I want. So that's where I am right now. Just trying to create, you know, just the demand. And we all try to create the demand. Like that's what we should be trying to do. I mean, one way or another, you have to do it, right? Everybody kind of grapes like right now, Etsy did their whole big change and everybody's up in arms about the percentage change. Yeah, it sucks. But like either... You're going to spend your time creating content to create demand to drive people to you and to your own website, or you're going to pay the percentage to let somebody else, i.e. Etsy or whoever, or a gallery or a, you can substitute the word Etsy in this situation for a gallery, for a representation somewhere, for hiring a, a college kid to do your social media, whatever it might be, somewhere you're either going to lose time or money to get the word out there to drive up the demand to bring people to you. And you just got to choose which one you're willing to give up, I imagine. I love how you're talking because, and I've been this way since I was a kid, like you have to be accountable. You have to be accountable for yourself. And I'm not into blaming others. So I'm looking at, well, if this video is not getting a lot of attention, it's not Instagram's fault, it's my fault because people are getting attention. So what is it that I'm doing to not get the attention? And what do I have to do and be true to myself and be true to my craft to get the attention? Because there's people in my craft who's, they're getting more attention than I am. So how do I fix that? And there's a lot of blame game going on, but you know, I'm not going to blame game. I'm going to figure it out and figure out what works best for me. And people say, well, I heard just yesterday, somebody was like famous Potter. I didn't know if that was sarcasm or something. And I said, I said, cause I work. <laughs> I said, I don't take vacations. And when I take vacations, my vacations are based around my work. And it's not that I have to do it. I'm just so passionate about it. It's something that I want to do. Like, you know, I'm going to Florida next week to my friend's wedding and I'm looking for a potter in the area so I could go hang out with that potter. That's what I want to do. So it's, it's, you have to work and you could do what I do, but you don't work at it. <laughs> and that's all it is. You just, how come you have so many followers on Instagram, Rich? Well, because I post. Yeah. And I post consistently. You don't. You, <laughs> why are you mad? Like you don't. I work seven days a week. You don't. Why are you mad? Like you, and it's not being mad, but why are you even asking that question? Just put a little bit of work in it and, and you'll get there. You can't, you, we can't be successful if we don't work. And especially selling a mug. You have to work even harder now. At least sell a beaker. That way you don't have to put a handle on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got to work even harder. Yeah. And yeah. you have to enjoy your work. And I enjoy my work. So, And I think that's where we all need to be. That was the delineation I love that you made of figuring out, okay, you put up a video, it's not getting as much recognition, views, likes, whatever, but you didn't say, let me adjust this to suit Instagram. You said, let me figure out how I can change this for myself, for my craft, Mm -hmm. for my style, and then try again. You know, and it's this balance between understanding the game we're all playing, right? Like understanding how Instagram works and the algorithm and the robots and whatever, playing the game, if you will, but doing it in a way with integrity, doing it in a way that feels good for you, that aligns with what you're doing in your work and your style. 
that's a different thing. That's a positive place to be. Listen, people might not know this, but I love to dance. And growing up, why, you know, why are we worrying about YouTube? Why is TikTok not happening? I and, get and on TikTok what, you know, to see you dance. That I would do. They called me Rich Boogie Brown growing up because I always dance. I, I hear music and it's in me. However, I don't want my Instagram to be flooded with people who want to see me dance because they're not going to buy my $42 mug. So I have to, I have to have a balance of, I got to stay true to what I need to do. I don't want it to be filled with people who don't really want to see me doing pottery. So I have to keep, always remember that authenticity in my piece. I might slash a little dance here and there once in a while in the future, but it's going to be with geared towards pottery yeah. with the mug in hand, <laughs> definitely with the mug in hand. But, you know, that's why I always try to keep that, you know, fine line of always trying to be true to what I'm doing. Just giving good content. Well, I'm going to repeat that again, because for people who got up out of the room or are listening, half listening or whatnot, it's worth reinstating, if you will, the fact that like, yeah, you could do other content on Instagram that would get you even more views, but that you are thinking of it strategically in terms of you are on here to sell pottery. So therefore the content you need to be creating needs to be deriving the type of people who are going to buy your pots to you, not just views for the sake of views. Being an advocate for potters too, we all collectively have to take pottery to another place so people respect it and we become the new thing. And that's all I'm trying to do is just make pottery cool. Like just be co the cool potter. Like, like with my daughter, who's actually 16, I'm the cool dad. Every morning she tries to get a snap, get me on Snapchat. So I must be doing something right. I was just so, going to say, yeah. That's yes, it. her friends know me. Like, yeah, I know your dad, Autumn. He's the potter. Like, so I'm I'm trying to make it authentic, cool, and just bringing, like, awareness to what we do as a whole. I think that's really important for upcoming potters as well, because I think at least what I see and, I, and was guilty of, right, I pumped the brakes hard on selling my own work after I started. I started selling my stuff way too soon, like before I had any place to be selling my stuff. That's right. a lot of people now. And that's, that's my point. People. That's my point is that it happens so quickly because in some ways it's so easy, right? You take a couple it photos on your cell phone, you put it up on Etsy, bada bing, bada boom, you can ship to somebody in New Hampshire or wherever. It's easy when you're not reliant on it. It's easy to do it. And I think I love that potters like you are doing is also showing people how to put it, the education of pottery, right? Talking about how a pot is balanced and that it can be heavy, but well balanced. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but coming back to the functional wear, like if you're not thinking about how a mug feels when it touches your lips, what that rim is going to do to someone's lip and just picking like, oh, well, I left it raw because I licked the clay color. Okay. But how's that going to feel when I drink my coffee out of that? Like, just the difference, I, I think being an advocate for clay in terms of the broader audience and the people selling our work, but also being an advocate of the people who are getting into it saying, oh, I want to do this and saying, okay, hold on, let's have a conversation here and let's pump the brakes and talk about what this really looks like, both pragmatically and for, as far as how quickly you have to throw to be able to sell a reasonable amount of stuff and also functionally as far as the shape and the form and, and whatnot. And that's what I think every, well, not every industry, but our industry, especially it's, uh, that's where a lot of noise can come in because my cups are the same price, sometimes cheaper than somebody who's a weekend warrior. And once again, everybody's looking at it from the aesthetic point of it. So if something is brighter and more colorful, it's going to sell before mine at a higher cost. And that's okay. I have no problem with it. That's okay. But the way I look at pottery, I want to respect the craft because I plan on being in it for a lifetime. So I just want to respect the craft. And I think when you respect it, you're going to be rewarded eventually. Yeah, you're going to be rewarded. That's why it took me three years to at least be able to think that I can have something worthy to be sold just to give people the best that I can give. And, and I don't know, it's really confusing because it, I think it's just the, the makeup of a person. That's just the way that I'm made up. Like when I was an athlete, I tried to be the top athlete. Like I was a division one athlete. And the way I was just raised is to do something at a hundred percent. And if you weren't raised like that, then that's just not a part of your makeup. And that is okay. <laughs> it is okay. And I always tell people, as long as a cup functions for what a cup is supposed to function as, 
It holds coffee. It holds juice. It holds water. It's a cup. A bowl is a bowl. It doesn't matter, but do it with the intention. Do it with good intentions. So if you make something and it's like, I'm making it to sell it really. And that's the only purpose. It's not good intentions. Just care about what you do. Because pottery is not the business to get into if you're trying to make money. <laughs> you can make money at it, but it's not the business choice that right. you should do. Everybody thinks like, oh, self-employment, you set your own hours, you sit back, you relax, you know, whatever. And it's like, mm, no. Nah, nah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, what, I feel like we've touched on this a little bit already. When people are coming to you and seeing what you're doing online and what do you feel like people don't know that you wish they knew? Whether particularly people interested in pottery. It's hard as hell. As blunt as it could be, it's hard as hell. But I think it would be, when I say that, it's not hard for me. It's hard for me, but it's not hard for me because the way I'm wired. And if I was somebody else, it would be like, I got to get out, just get a regular job again. But, you know, I'll come home. Like I've been doing 12 hour days and my wife is like, man, you're still working. And that's what it is. It's like, it's a constant grind in order to pay the bills. Like it's a constant grind. That's what I would tell people. I don't know if the way I make it look like it's appealing. I don't know if that's how I make it appear. And I don't know if people see that there's a struggle in what I'm doing. I don't know if they see that, but it is. So I don't know. I can't look at myself from the outside in, but I know people just think like I'm living like the, the, the dream life, Yeah. but I am. Right. This but is that the goal, actually. Required... This is the goal. It's yeah, just... this is the goal. It's just not on a It beach. just requires work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, and that's the thing about it. Like, if I go to the beach, I'm going to try to find the powder that's on the beach. That's the whole thing. Like, I I, I told my sister, because I, I called my sister two days ago, and I said, you know what? I said, I think I'm depressed. And I know she has battled with it at some point or another. And I said, I, I think I'm depressed, but I don't know how to articulate it. And I don't know what to do to find like peace. And my depression doesn't come from work. My depression comes from, I have a sister who's battling cancer. And she was told maybe two months ago that she has three or six months to live. So like while I'm working every day, I got to think about her. And then this week I had a, one of my best friends call me and tell me that he found out that he had colon cancer. And he's two years older than me. He was a mentor to me and I probably wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for him. I was the best man in his wedding and I was, I'm the godfather of his firstborn. These are the things that I have to deal with while still creating what I'm creating. And it's like, well, take a break, but I, I don't know what a break looks like in terms of, I can't just go to sleep. I can't sit down. I'm not going to go ride a bike. Like pottery is my therapy as well. And then that's why I say like, me losing 30 pieces is lightweight. That's nothing. <laughs> me struggling to pay a bill is nothing. Like a bill is nothing. Like that's nothing. The seven days a week that I work, that's nothing. Like that's nothing because people are dealing with issues, like life issues. And and, and right now I, I have a healthy family and I'm healthy. And that's all I ask for. I can get up every morning and make these pots. But, you know, my sister has to think about and she's scared, like, I'm I'm not going to be here next year. And that's her reality. Yeah. So you got to put everything in perspective. What we do is easy. And, and I would tell anybody, if you want to become a professional potter or a full-time potter, it's easy. If you're just willing to commit to that whole lifestyle change, it's easy. Because that's not an issue. Being a potter is easy. <laughs> Dealing with cancer is hard. Yeah. A sickness is hard. What we do is easy. Yeah. So that's how I just look at everything. I'm into that. I mean, you can't get any more significant perspective than that. I had yeah. a, I feel like in some ways I kind of more or less grew up with that, my, that perspective. My sister had leukemia when we were kids and, and she passed away when she was nine and I was three. And so I, there's always this kind of inkling in the back of my head of like, you know, it, you've got to make every single day has to count, which in some ways is not healthy because I go, 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 don't turn off and keep going because it's like, I've got to make this day count. I've got to, it's got to be full. I've got to live to the fullest and, and we do need to learn how to stop and relax and just spend time with loved ones without anything else, without thinking of anything else, without strategizing around 
whatever next content and marketing and whatever. But at the same time, I never want to look back and think, oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I wish I would have. Whatever. That's I that hits home in more ways than you probably knew that it would. Well, yeah. And that's why, you know, I was doing the videos and, I, and I'm going to do them again where I just give like a PSA on a Saturday about what's going on, how we just have to really live our lives. I heard something on the radio recently and it was, you know, have a great day on purpose. Yeah. On purpose, have a great day. And that's how we should just continue to live. Like today I'm, I'm tired as I don't know what, but today's a great day. Like it's a beautiful day to be here and, and to know that I'm here. Like I have to go back to work and, and, and glaze some things for my sale on Sunday. And, and that's fine. I'm tired, but that's okay. And that's a part of the territory. But the reason why I'm doing that is because tomorrow I'm going to meet a, an artist that I saw on Instagram and his name is Spencer Lawrence. He's a 72 year old artist from New York. And we grew up in the same neighborhood. He moved to Georgia and he moved extremely close to me. And he has a plethora of work. And I just happened to see him on Instagram because one of his children posted his work. And this is how I am. I, I just DM'd him and said, I would love to meet you. And I spoke to him the other day and he was like, come hang out with me on Friday. And it's just talking to other artists. When I talk to him, it's going to help me go back to the studio and be a better potter. I'm going to learn stuff from him, even though he's doing just fine art and drawing and painting. I'm going to be learning things from him to take back. And it's just those experiences that go into my pieces that I think that's why sometimes my pieces just might have a different feel than the average piece because there's more going into it. It's just not pottery. And I always tell people I'm the worst potter to talk to sometimes because I'm not technical. I talk about, it's about people more than pottery. I just happen to do pottery well, but it's the pottery has allowed me to meet so many amazing people that being in the classroom, I wouldn't have. I met a lot of amazing students there, but like every day I'm meeting different people, like meeting you, just meeting people or just sharing the experience. Yep. Yep. This is priceless. Like this stuff that we do is priceless. I love that. That's what kept me, you know, in the events industry for so long. I told everybody, it's funny the way that you just phrased that almost was like words out of my mouth in terms of, I don't care about the camera. It's not about the camera. I mean, for plenty of photographers, their identity is wrapped up in holding that camera and what they can do with the equipment and whatever. And for me, it was never about that. It was about making relationships with people. It was about being able to show somebody their best friend's personality frozen in time, right? It was about being able to, all of that surrounded with community and being able to to remember a feeling of something that our memories are fleeting and, and go so quickly. Like that's what it was about. It wasn't about this black box that's in my hands and the light coming from whatever, like I started to appreciate that over time. Like I appreciate light now, I craft light, but that's just to better speak what I'm trying to capture in the first place, which is the person. As artists, we're always just trying to create a story. And as a photographer, you're trying to capture that story. And as potters, I believe we're trying to capture that story in the pieces that we create, or that's what a true potter is. And then there's always that thing about it's pottery art. That's when pottery becomes art. So pottery is not always art, but when a potter can capture the essence of whatever he's going through in that piece, that's when it becomes art because you're telling your story through that piece. It's all in the way the potter is looking at that piece. And I think it will resonate in that potter's work because I, I think you can, and in anything that is handmade, you can feel like a, a soul in it if it was done with the true intentions of that being what it's supposed to be. You can tell. Yeah. I have so many other notes and questions, but this is such a good, juicy like <laughs> point to make. I'm like... I, I feel like I should just stop there because all the other questions are like tactical. How's this work? How's that work? But like, that's the soul of it right there. Yeah, yeah. that's what we do. With, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of pottery. It's like the other stuff is not, the other stuff is really not important, but it is important because I went back to talking about shape and form and making sure something feels right. That all of those things are very important, but it's more than that. Like what we do and what we're here for is more than that. There's a lot of people who can make a good pot, but Who's making that good pot with the purest intentions is that that's what it is. That's what it's about. And that's what I believe I try to, my goal is to separate my work from other work with those things, those key ingredients. This was made with the purest intention. I didn't give you one of those pieces that I made last year, because right now this is where I am. And I want to give you the best that I can give you. And I think if you have those pure intentions, you're going to win. I think you're going to win. I don't know yet. 
and I think I think I'm still, right, like I'm still I'm still training. Sure. I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you know to be to be determined. End end episode to be continued. I think the point you also mentioned there was that you have to have the skills to be able to speak that intention. Also, like if you don't have the skills to be able to bring out of the clay what it is you're trying to say, well then nobody's going to know that was your intention because there's a disconnect between those skills and that vision sometimes. At least that's for me with photography. And see, if powders are listening to this, and I'm sure they will, this is a technical thing that I always say in terms of they say, how do you throw fast? Once, when I get aggressive with the clay, um, overly aggressive, so the clay is going to do what I want the clay to do. And I, I see that I see how that clay is going to tolerate how I handle the clay. I respect the clay and I count how many times I touch the clay. And I think about it. So oh, you have to say that again. You count how many because t- somebody's going to miss that. And like, since I'm married to a production potter, I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. You count how many so, times you touch the clay. Yeah, because I see people and I'm like, man, they're touching it a lot. And that's why it takes them so long to create something. So I'm like, I, I put it down one. I push it down two. put my hand in the water. If I have that thing that I use to open up the clay, I'm saying that's three put that back. Then I say the first pull, that's four. Then I go back again. And then I say, that's five. So most of my cups are just two pull cups. And then I'll take my rip and I'm like three. And then I'll take the tool that I use to scrape some of the bottom. Then I'll be like, I'm just going to continue to count. And then I say, well, man, I touched that 11 times. Let me see if I could bring that down a little bit. Let me see if I could do that without putting my hand in the water. Let me see, instead of having my finger a certain place, if I turn and and there's more of a pad of my finger, I can use less water and get the mug to come up. So these are all things that I think about in doing a piece. So I'm like, all right, if I only touched it 12 times, I know that I can get faster and I get faster. And I remember when I started, I might've touched that same mug 70 times, seriously, <laughs> like 70 times. And then it's just things to be aware of. And one, one thing that I have over many people is that I have a master's in education. So I can teach myself how to be better at something. And I spent most of those years coaching as well. And coaching basketball is the same as pottery in terms of form. Like to shoot properly, you need form. In pottery, you need form. And the only way to be better is through muscle memory and through repetition. So, and then like we would say, always work at game speed. So don't dribble the ball slowly, pound it, do it fast. And it's the same thing with pottery. Do it fast and mess up and get rid of it. Do it fast and mess up and get rid of it. And after a while, it fast just becomes natural. And it's not that I have a special skill set, but if I would say I had a special skill set, the skill set is to work hard. That's my talent. You're out there throwing the way you practice free throws, right? Just over yeah, yeah. and over and over, over and over and over again. I'm always, my mind is boggled and this is opening up a whole nother can of worms. Like when I see an NBA player miss a free throw, I'm like, this is the one thing you can practice by yourself all the time. But it's, 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 it's the same with pottery yeah. because their skill set to take that free throw is not their skill set to block a shot. And they've mastered how to block a shot or they mastered defense. And it's the same thing with pottery. There's so many things to master. That's a really great point. They spend less time on the free throw because they're mastering how to dunk. Yeah. Because that's what they practice. And then it, it shines. And I just want to be the potter who is the, I'm going to say something. Let me see. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say Michael Jordan. I'm not gonna say Kobe. You probably yeah, gotta do that little, to myself. Little... I want to be the Dennis Rodman. Of, I want to be the Dennis Rodman of pottery because Dennis Rodman was known for rebounding. He's also got style. He was known. Yep, he, he was known for style. He was known to be a great rebounder, a great defender. They used to say like after the games he would get on the bike after the game, so people are going home and he would get on the bike for an hour and ride the bike because he wanted to stay in tip top shape. Yeah, stay in. Yeah. So I'm Dennis Rodman of pottery. That's safe. So safe. That is safe. I mean, we'll see what your safe. wife thinks about that. Cause there's some questions. There's some complications. There's a, there's, a lot but... of, there's a lot of freaky questions about that one, but <laughs> in pottery, I'm the Dennis Rodman of pottery. Oh my gosh. I love that. That needs to be the next shirt. That needs to be. And see, I mean, anybody comes in late. The like, there's so many layers here. That yeah, we yeah. If somebody comes in late and they hear the end of that, please go to the beginning of this so you understand <laughs> what I'm talking about. Please. 
That's literally that's, that's weird. That's the clip I gotta use for Instagram. Just that right there. Yeah. 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 I'm the Dennis Rodman of Pottery. They're gonna be like, what? What's it? Yeah, that's not good. It's <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> All right. What do you how has it been different these last two years? And I know that I'm pushing on how much time that you have to give so freely and for which I'm appreciative. Like the, it, what's fascinating to me is you started out in a completely different way than most people, as far as the opportunity with SAC and having whatever that looks like. So what was that kind of shift those first two years in these last two years? Has there been anything that's felt different or you just kind of kept plugging along and knew you were good to go? Well, I knew I need, this is the the last two years are better than the first two years because I like the hustle of having to work by myself. I'll actually, I don't think you can get to that, that, that pinnacle point. If you just, you got to put this in, you kind of do this. And, and I'm trying to get to the point. And when I say I haven't made it, I've made it, but I'm trying to be a millionaire potter, which sounds crazy, but that's what I'm trying to do. And it's not through selling just pieces because I'm not trying to make a million dollars worth of pieces. But it might be through social media. It might be having a television show. It might be advocating for other potters. At the end of the day, I want to be able to get there. But you got to put the work in. Every story that you hear, people put the work in. You know, when I was Zach, we did a we did a photo shoot together at his house. And I was like, yo, you look tired. Like, And he's like, yeah, I'm exhausted. Because he did like 14 interviews that morning. He was doing a photo shoot that afternoon. And then he had to go to the studio after. But people don't see that. And that's what it's about. It's about putting that work in. And everybody who's made it to that point they put the work in. There's no shortcuts to this. And I believe if you continue doing the work, you'll reach that point. And I'm just putting, I'm laying that work in right now. So in some ways, it sounds like that partnership with him for those first couple of years was also just seeing what was required to do this. Because I guess a lot of people would assume like hearing that, like, oh, okay, you had a financial safety net and that's how this works. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm hearing. That was more intimidating than anything else. And for the average person, it would be intimidating. But for me, I'm all in because I was a part of a collective. There was a collective of us. So we had Gunnar Fox who made hats. We had Bobby Woodward who made um, bags. We had an entire custom shop that they did cars. They did everything. They did woodworking. They did everything. But they did it. And these guys were doing it at the highest level imaginable. They were spending days at work. They work seven days a week. Some of them did not see their families. It was causing like rifts in some of their families because they were putting in the work. Zach was putting in the work. These people were at the highest places they could be because that's what they did. And there were a lot of entertainers that came by to the house and everything. And that's what these entertainers are working their asses off. (laughs) And people don't understand that. They think that they're just rich because they're like, it's given to them. When you have 30 interviews a day, you have photo shoots, you have rehearsals, you have to remember your lines and stuff like that. It is work. And people don't understand that. that's the work that you have to put in. And then a regular nine to five for a lot of people is not going to teach him or prepare him for that kind of work because they can come home and shut down. But when you're an entrepreneur, you got to put that work in, like in any craft, in any profession that you're doing. And the cream always rises to the top. It's going to be what it is. And there's a lot of people who are fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And it just takes off for them. But however, being fortunate, they were doing work at that time to get them there. So you have to be visible and you have to be present. Now, can they stay there is the next thing. And when are they going to be burnt out? Because it's hard to stay at that level. Yeah. And that's, this is why the Dennis Rodman comparison works so well, because if you're getting on the bike after the game, you've got the stamina to keep going because you should not for your life work seven days a week. I mean, you should take rest and and have this elusive word balance, but like you can only be in the right place at the right time. If you were already in motion, right? If you were already in that place in the first place. Now somebody might just get lucky and go viral or whatever people are hoping to do on social media. But if that happens once, what's it get you, right? If it happens two, three, four times, it happens over the course of five years or 10 years over the course of different, whatever social media will be here in five years now, we're in a different situation. Yeah, it's just it's the work that you put in. And, um, and that's the balance you said, like no one should work seven days a week, but I can't, there's like, if I take a day off, I'm like, man, I got I want to go to the studio and try this. Like, that's the problem. <laughs> 
And I think sometimes that's a good problem to have. It's like my wife would be like, can you stop moving? Because it'd be a Sunday morning. She's still trying to sleep. And at seven o'clock, I'm like, just tossing the truck. Like, man, I got to do that. I'll try this. Let me figure this out. So, and She's that's like, the go balance. Go to because, the studio. Come back in two hours. I'll see you later. And, and that's why I did pottery because I was able to do it at home when I started. And I was able to do it when people were sleeping. And I, I would be able to get away. And I can get away for two hours and come back. The beauty of it is when I was teaching, I was not able to be a part of my daughter in terms of school. My wife took care of that. But since she started high school, I drove her to school every single day since in high school. So I, I take her to school and I pick her up. And it's the same thing for my son. When he started kindergarten, I walked him in the first day. I took him to school and I pick him up every single day since he started school. And this is what this has given me. And as an educator, I didn't have that because I was raising other people's kids. So I have the freedom now to say, all right, I can take this time off to go see what they have to do or be there for them that I didn't for. So it's just different balance and it's just different way of working things, but it, it, it all worked out in the end. And the story is still being written right now. I, you know, I just told my wife, I said, I'm getting a lot of opportunities, but the financial opportunities aren't coming in terms of, Right. It all looks good. It looks good on the gram. It looks great. Yeah. But it's going in the right direction. So, you know, I'm in ceramic monthly this summer and yeah, I was invited to teach at Penland. I was invited to teach at Clay by the Bay and there's just different, you know, different galleries want to carry my work. So it's all coming together because of the work that I'm putting in. Financially, it's not there yet. And then everybody needs to hear this because everybody's thinking about the financial aspect of it. But I believe you have to put in that work and then you'll be rewarded. And I just have to believe that you, you're you going to be rewarded for, put, for putting in work. Yep. And it's it's hard. It is hard. And you have to wear many hats, but that's that's what we're here for. And also you look really good in hats, so it helps. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I got to get my hat. That's, I just spoke to somebody about Saturday, so I need my neighborhood pot dealer hat and my Pottery 32 hats. They're coming soon. I am on that. I'm going to be on that list as soon as those are there. I... A thousand percent on it. I'm, I am such a hat person, which is funny because I'm not wearing one now. And Francesco laughs at me because it's the most obvious American thing, like to be a girl walking mm-hmm. around in a baseball hat. He's like, yeah, if you do that when we're in Italy, I don't care how good your Italian gets. Everybody knows that you're American. Oh, that you're American. <laughs> like, well, it is what it is. But, oh my gosh, Rich, thank you so much. The, we're going to have you, you back if this story keeps going because I, I could just take up so much of your time. I'm glad that this uh, finally happened too, because we just kept, we were going through trouble today. I'm glad that this actually worked. I appreciate it. I, I don't know if anybody knows just all the tech that goes into actually recording a decent podcast. You can do it low tech, but then it sounds like crap. Nobody wants to listen to it. And you're, doing a, you're doing an excellent job and Thank I'm glad you. we finally made this happen. I'm so excited. Hey, we're putting in the work. That's what we're both doing. So awesome. Thank you so much. And that wraps up episode 307 here on the podcast. At the time of this episode airing, Rich is actually with one of our other podcast guests, or a couple of them, but particularly at Fee of Fee's Pottery in Washington State for the very first ever Clay Challenge. Clay Challenge is a unique spin on the traditional reality show with no eliminations and boatloads of awesome support. Be sure to check it out and follow along for Rich and so many other amazing makers creations at Clay Challenge on Instagram. As it turns out, by no surprise to most of us, they are burning through clay at a rate a little bit faster than they originally anticipated and had fundraised for. So if you're in the position to help donate to this really cool project, you can learn more about those opportunities on their IG page as well, which once again is at Clay Challenge. If the mention of amazing support from fellow makers has you yearning for a community of your own, I would love it if you check out makersplaybook.com community, our new online home. Right now, we already have 47 makers from all over the world sharing their experiences and problem-solving around so many of the questions we all have. You know, the ones like, how the heck do you keep up with all of the changes that never end on Instagram? What website platform did you decide to use when you moved off of Etsy? How do you manage shipping? 
and so many more. The questions are really endless. Each month, we have monthly themes around a topic that we all need support on. We just wrapped up a month of discussions on all things Instagram, but no worries, all of those discussions stay live. So if you do decide to join us, you can still chime in, you can see everything, the discussions never really end. But right now, for the start of July of 2022, we are getting ready to launch into a new monthly theme all around time management, particularly if you're a side hustler trying to balance the day job and your making. But I've got a feeling that a lot of these tips and tricks will wind up applying to all of us, side hustler, full-timer, what have you. Best of all, though, I have just added a free two-week trial. So if you've been a little bit curious since we launched the community and wanted to take a peek to see what all is happening, now is the time. Come learn more at makersplaybook.com community. I'm not going to lie. I do really love ending every single episode now talking about the community because it feels like there is finally a tangible solution to the far more lofty philosophical way that I always wrap up these conversations. So until next week, go get back to making your dreams a reality because together we've got this.